Hi there, this is Donna Bordeaux with Campground Accounting, and you're listening to Campground Compass, the show dedicated to campground owners in an entrepreneurial mindset who seek to grow and expand in the wild and wonderful world of business. Welcome to Campground Compass. I'm your co-host, Zach Bordeaux, joined by my awesome mother and co-host, Donna Bordeaux. And today we got an action-packed episode for you. Uh, Today we're going to be discussing buying and building and a little bit of both and, uh, you know, kind of some pros and cons of both. And uh, we'll go into it. Um, We're going to make this kind of a shorter episode so we can hopefully grasp your attention a little bit better and uh, hopefully engage you a little bit more. But um, let's get right into it. No wasting any time. Um, We're not going to be like all these podcasts that sit there and go, well, well, how are you doing there today? You know, we're not like that. We're going to go right into the action, bring you as much value as possible in the next few minutes. So uh, let's get right into it. Yes, let's do it. So we are hearing a lot still about buying a building. It has slowed down a little bit. And one of the big causes of that, interest rates. So uh, the the interest rate thing, you know, if we kind of bring this back a little bit, because sometimes this gets glazed over. Um, and let's talk a little bit about why this is important. Most people, if they're expanding or opening or buying a business, are going to use some sort of a bank loan that is backed by the SBA. The SBA has its own rates, and they are based off of the prime lending rate from the government. And that's set by the Federal Reserves, but those rates are around 10% right now. So a lot higher than we've seen in the past. We were seeing fives and sixes and... Uh, so 10% is a pretty substantial increase. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's talk about why that really matters. So the interest rate's higher. Obviously, that's the cost of borrowing money is higher. What does that mean for the buyer or the builder of campgrounds? Well, if you've got a payment on a loan and the interest rate's higher, the payment's going to be higher. When you're qualifying for loans, The bank is going to look at how much income you have or are projected to have once you go operational. And they're going to want to see that you are, have the ability to pay that debt back and not be cutting things so tight that you won't pay them and that you'll default on the loans. So the larger the payment, um, if you've got an income to debt ratio, the debt goes up because the payments are higher and the income stays the same. You don't qualify for as much. So does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One question I know a lot of people have is, you know, why do the interest rates really matter that much? Yeah. It it the the base of the interest rate is set by the Federal Reserve. Pretty complex scenario of when they change rates and why they change it. But if you can recall, we were near zero at the prime lending rate. The prime rate now is in the seven percent, I believe it's seven and a quarter. Um, right now. So when we talk about interest rate that's higher, that is basically like how much is it to borrow money from the government? So the SBA adds another layer on there and commercial lenders are going to add to the prime lending rate. So that's why it matters. The payment is going to be higher so you can afford less. So just like if you were going to buy a house or a car, if the payment's higher, that means that the price of the vehicle or the interest is higher. So you can afford less if you got to maintain a payment. 
And if your income stays the same, you've got to maintain a payment. You can't just pay a bigger payment and have your income stay the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes makes most sense uh, to me. Hopefully makes sense to our listeners as well. Um, you know, we want to talk a little bit more about buying and then a little bit more about building uh, later on. But um, just as a little, you know, transition, supply and demand. We talk about it a lot. How's supply of campgrounds doing right now? Um, I know a lot of campgrounds try to find this data and it's really hard to find very specific pieces of data, but obviously we work with a lot of campgrounds. So we're able to pull that data from a bigger pool than just, you know, go ask your friend who owns a campground. What, how's kind of the supply looking of campgrounds? Is it up, down? And, uh, you know, how's it, how's it looking? Yeah, I think this is kind of making a parallel to the housing market and people are usually more familiar. It is still going to be a seller's market on the campground side, just like it is in the housing market. There are still a pretty healthy number of campgrounds that are for sale right now. There are many people who have teetered on the idea of retiring. I think, you know, the COVID and the pandemic effect has made people stop and realize like, hey, you know, I probably should enjoy life. So some people have decided that that triggers them into, you know, what if I should sell my campground? What would I do? I could spend more time with my family, see my grandkids. Uh, see my kids, travel the world. Those kinds of things have become a little more forefront now. So there are many people who are in that area where before they might have said, hey, I'm not going to sell for a long time. And some have had a little bit of a change of heart and said, okay, life's short. Maybe it's time. So there are some people who are looking at retirement or early retirement, and they're in the marketplace. Now, I know in particular, there are several uh, campgrounds and a good number of the campgrounds that are in the for sale pool right now that are probably priced a little higher because they are not in dire need of selling. Uh, They know it's a pretty good time to sell because the industry as a whole is really high up there right now and the demand is high for camping and the the industry is still on a high cycle. but we are seeing that some of those people may say, well, you know, I'll put a healthy price tag on it. If it sells, I'll enjoy. If not, I'll still be okay. And I'll continue to work here. Yeah, I know we talked to, in episode three, we talked to Dick DeWard from uh, Campground Connection. Is that right? That's yes. Right. Um, and we talked about, you know, selling as far as you don't want to have to sell your campground because you're not going to get the value out of it. So I think a lot of people are definitely taking advantage of the fact that they don't really need to sell, but they want to be ready to sell whenever the time comes and they want to be on top of things. So, uh, you know, the concept of not having to sell when you need to sell, but selling it when you're, you're ready to sell, but not like when you have to sell because, you know, you're sick or, um, you know, you literally can't physically do it anymore. You don't want to have to wait till that point to have to sell because you're not going to get the value that you deserve for that campground. So I think that's what that's one of the things that a lot of uh, campgrounds are taking advantage of right now. And also, while the price is up, I think a lot of people just like you said want to retire. They're just ready for it. You know, and what we're also seeing we we had a pretty healthy stream of, of family buyers of family campgrounds. That has dwindled a little bit because the interest rates are up and maybe they can't afford the higher price tag that they're seeing now. And 
some people just get a little scared. You know, there's a lot of naysayers in the media who tell people the world's going to crash and the economy is going to crash. I, I don't happen to see that and think that right off that that's really hurting the marketplace. But the higher price tags are not scaring away the corporate buyers. There are a lot of big corporate buyers of campgrounds. And it used to be we had like two or three big corporate, you know, the Suns and uh, Equity Lifestyle. Those kinds of players have been in the market for a long time. There are a lot of newbies out there who are gobbling up uh, campgrounds. They have basically got investors lined up, kind of like this is a real estate play to buy up mom and pop campgrounds. Their problem is once they buy them, they've got to make sure they've got management available and the staffing of uh, the labor shortage and staffing is an issue a little bit for them, but they're making go of that. So there are still a lot of corporate buyers out there and that's kind of where the mom and pops lean in and say, well, heck, these corporate guys can afford a much higher price tag. So maybe I'll price it a little higher and see if we can get them to bite. And we're seeing a lot of conversions there. Um, every week in the news, I see that a bigger corporate group or capital group uh, of investors has purchased uh, some more campgrounds and they're converting them. Hmm. Um, so those haven't really scared off the investor groups much with the interest rate change. How about like venture um, capitalists? How that, how's you know, venture capitalists, this is a kind of a tricky area, and I think there's a lot of factors going in here. Um, venture capital, if we think about a person, uh, bring it back to a smaller scale, a person who has money to invest and risk in, in taking risks and capital. Um, when we talk about going back a couple of years, when the interest rates were really low, that person, if they invested in, a, you know, a, a, if they were trying to loan money to somebody who couldn't get a bank loan, all right, if a bank loans at four or 5%, what are they going to get? Seven or eight. And that's a pretty healthy return for them at that point. Well, right now, they're not getting that return on their money the same way. They were willing to take a big risk then because the payoff was bigger. But now that the interest rates have increased a little, the venture capital money generally dries up a little because they might want to take less risk now because they can still earn a pretty healthy return without risking as much. So I'm not seeing as many venture capital type funds. Now, I'm still seeing the investor groups. And a lot of that are, is money that was already raised and committed to go buy. Uh, into a fund. So that still may take a little dive, but it'll be a little lagging on that from the market turn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that does make sense because obviously it does. Uh, you know, I know we talk a lot about capital gains and it's pretty, it took me a long time to understand how that kind of worked. And maybe that was just me. I don't know. But Nope, I think it would. <laughs> I, I think it would be pretty helpful if you just kind of explained it. Um, yeah, capital gains and kind of what it is. Um, I know this is a little off topic, and it's relates, but it's kind of a little different avenue. But it, I think it would be helpful for the people on here just to explain a little yeah. bit. How does how do you explain capital, capital gains, gains? Is a a big driving factor behind the campground or any kind of business investment. 
So let's talk a little bit about what capital gains means. All right. You and I, when we earn money and we file that tax return at the end of the year, our tax rates have this little stepping thing, stepping stone. So it's like a swimming pool. You're going to have lower rates on some dollars and every person, even the gazillionaire, takes those different levels. So the first little bit of money is at zero rate. The next little bit is at 10% and then 12% and then 20. And it goes all the way on up as we step into the pool and it gets deeper. It goes all the way up to roughly 39%. That's an, uh, it plus or minus a little, but we're going to call it 39%. So if somebody has a whopper of a year, Let's say that you're an employee and you cashed out on a big stock deal. Your company went public and you got a gazillion dollars that year. You're going to have a hefty tax bill because part of that's going to be up at that 39% rate. Well, to promote investment, um, they set up capital gains tax rates and they have a more favorable rate. So to qualify for this good rate, you have to have invested for at least one year. You have to hold it. And after one year of holding that investment, it becomes long-term. Short-term is less than one year. So when we talk about stocks, you'll hear short and long-term gains. So if I buy some Microsoft stock today and tomorrow I sell it, that's short-term. If I buy it today and I hold it until next April, that is long-term. Long-term, the maximum rate we have right now on a long-term rate is 20% tax. So do you want to pay 39% tax or 20%? Uh, we all know the answer to that question. You want to pay 20%. Really? You don't want to give your money <laughs> to the IRS? <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, I think, well, maybe you want to pay for the 80,000 agents. But for the most part, fund them somehow. Would- Rather I just, have the I just, 20%. I, I know there's just tons of campground <laughs> owners out there that just wake up in the morning and they're like, man, if only the IRS would take more of my money. Let me donate. <laughs> no. So we had a little scare a few years back. Um, this capital gains rate is not like a given that it will exist forever. It comes and goes with a political climate. And there was a scare that it was going to be changed and eliminate the capital gains favorable tax rate. So this prompted a lot of people to put their campgrounds on the market and try to get sales finalized before a magical date. And we didn't even know what that magical date would be, whether it was going to be before that date and it was already past due or if it would be the end of the year. We didn't know. There was a lot of speculation on it. So I know I was at a conference uh, one year and somebody had a sale pending and they were like, whoa, I hope we can get this closed out before this changes if it's going to change. And why were they so cautious about trying to get this change or getting this thing closed before a law change? Well, let's say it was a, a $2 million sale. If you were selling, and let's assume for a minute, I'm going to oversimplify and say that all $2 million was taxable, which is not normally the case, but all $2 million was taxable, and you were going to have to pay 39% if the tax law changed, or 20% on that gain if the old tax law stayed there. That's a 20%, roughly, 19%, if we're doing real math, difference 
So you'd pay almost double the amount of taxes. And that's money you just wouldn't get from the proceeds. So it was a huge deal. Now, I'm here to say that as of today, that tax law did not change. They weren't able to get it passed. So we still have the 20% rate. That's not guaranteed, though. It could change tomorrow if they wanted it to. That's not expected to. I don't want to set off any fires here. Um, but tax law is always as of today. There's no guarantee for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's a big deal. So does that make capital gains uh, kind of clarify why it's such a big deal? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, especially when you put it into that perspective of, you know, 19% on 2 million, that's like what? 38,000. I'm just joking. I'm trying to, I'm trying to make it look like I'm impressive. I I looked that up. I Googled it. I Googled it. Yeah. But, but, that's a pretty big, significant difference. And that definitely makes it more clear as to and, why and that's so wait, important. That's not 38,000. It's 380,000. 380,000. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Just want to clarify. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Would you like to have your 380,000 or would you like to donate that to the government? <laughs> I know the answer. I, I think that. I know the answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So and, that was, again, another reason that we saw a lot of people say, hey, maybe it's time for me to go ahead. Uh, especially we saw this with the older campground owners at the time, because, again, this was pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Their answer was, oh, my gosh, if something were to happen and they change that tax law, I'm screwed. I'm going to get half the money left over for my retirement or for my kid's legacy that I'm going to mm-hmm. pass along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's definitely, you definitely clarified capital gains a lot there. Um, let's kind of transition into, uh, let's talk a little bit more about building. I know there's, um, we got a lot of people buying, we got a lot of people building. Uh, and I know that's one big thing right now in the industry is building campgrounds. Um, so, uh, you know, is there, what's the demand for building right now? I know we talked about supply and demand for, uh, you know, buying, but is there, a good supply of land? What's the kind of demand for building? Yeah, this one's kind of a mixed bag. And, and honestly, you don't hear a lot of people talk about what all's involved in building. Uh, you know, from the surface level, it sounds great. Hey, find a piece of land, put some pads in there, run some electric, we're up and running. Mm-hmm. In reality, it's just not that easy. Um, and we could building. do a whole podcast on that, on just yeah. building. If, yeah. Honestly, if you want to see that, leave us a comment, send us an email, uh, you know, let us know because we'd be happy to do a podcast on that whole yeah. topic because that's a big discussion in itself, you yeah. know, building. We're just and, touching surface level. And even I've heard like people say, well, I've got this 50 acre farm. I'm thinking I could throw some sites on here and start making some money off my land. Well, here's some of the quickly some of the reasons why this is tougher than it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, I will tell you, there's a big demand for building, but most of the building that I'm seeing are coming from these big corporate entities who have a lot of capital and a lot of cash and a lot of resources to pull together. Um, so uh, we do see a lot of building right now. And one of the big reasons that the building is happening is because there's such a huge demand. You know, if you want to go to Florida in the winter, you're going to 
have to book a long time. I mean, a year in advance at a minimum. And even then you might not get where you want to be. Well, and that's like even the same thing. Like we had a trip that we're planning to go to Alaska, not in 2024, 2025. And we already had to book it. 2025 is almost sold out. Yeah. And (laughs) we're we're in March of 2023 right now. Right. So you really have to book out really far in advance. And there's a huge demand for that right now. Yeah. If you're not picky and you're going to stay anywhere along the way that you can find a spot, you you might be okay. But if you're going to go to a popular destination or you want to go to Florida or Texas for the winter. Um, or another thing you missed early. Or another thing you missed is if you want to go to a nice campground, a, a luxury yeah. Yeah. You know, resort type if you, campground. If you're looking for high demand kind of sites that uh, book out quickly because they have a limited supply and they're in high demand. Yeah. You've got to book early. So the building is kind of, focusing on this big demand issue. So where we're seeing the building are typically in a lot of areas where snowbirds are. So I would, if I had to point at one place and say, where's the biggest growth of building it's Florida and it's Texas. Um, those two places, um, you know, if you wanted to stay in Orlando and it's kind of growing out or Miami-ish area or Naples. Uh, heaven forbid you want to stay in Naples. You better be ready to book a site a long time in advance. So with the big demand, we're seeing some building in those areas. Um, mm-hmm. Those building then are trying to take advantage of the fact that they already have people who want to come there who don't have a place to stay. Uh, about two weeks ago, I was at Island Oaks Campground, and that's uh, just outside of Jacksonville, maybe 20 minutes west of Jacksonville. A brand new park just opened about five months ago. Huge park, and they're still building part of it. They probably have about 200 sites already, and they're adding another 200 sites. And they were literally packed to the gills. I was shocked. I thought it would be wide open. It was full. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were there on just an overnighter traveling from one place to another. It was full. Um, so this is, a again, a campground that was just built a couple months ago, and they're already filled up. So when we look at the supply and demand, you will find a lot of building on the fringes of the areas where there are already a lot of campgrounds that are really busy. Now, in this case, as I mentioned, it was like 20 minutes outside of Jacksonville. The tough part is you've got to go rural enough that you don't have really big restrictions and requirements and zoning and environmental issues to deal with or that they're minimal uh, and, and that you can buy land cheap enough to do this with. If you go to an inner city where, you know, I, I, forever I see people say, where's a great place to stay near Charlotte? Or, I'm coming to Charleston <laughs> or I'm going to Dallas. Where should I stay? And you'll find there aren't a lot of campgrounds, at least newer ones, that are in cities or metropolitan areas because the land's too expensive and everybody's got an opinion. If you announce you're going to put a campground in, all of a sudden, everybody's got an opinion. They don't want that in their backyard because (laughs) they construe it like they're going to have an old mobile home park that's going to devalue their values They don't really look at it and they say there's going to be a lot of traffic and all these impacts to their community. Um, 
Some mm-hmm. may be founded and some unfounded completely, but it doesn't really matter. You've got to be able to pass the hurdles, get by their county or city councils and get your plans through zoning and planning and development and jump through a lot of hoops. So a lot of cases, people are going to the rural fringes of populated areas to try to be able to actually get through all those hurdles uh, to make a campground build, uh, build out actually work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, everyone has an opinion. If you're building in cities, it's just too expensive. Yeah. Um, for most campground owners, it's just hard to bring a profit if you build in the cities. Um, right. And the, just the pure cost of land is so expensive mm-hmm. that yeah. it makes it difficult. That could be a whole nother podcast on its own. Yeah. It's the skyrocketing cost of land and yeah. the, the current climate of the campground industry as a whole. Um, you know, as far as land staffing that kind of stuff through covid everything changed Every, all the prices of everything went up um so especially in city areas just can't afford it anymore yeah yeah um and i know we've talked about buying we've talked about building let's move into a, another little tiny kind of subset here that's actually starting to grow a little bit more that i've seen um and that's our hybrid situations not really buying not really building where they're kind of buying a campground that was already kind of built, but they ran out of money or, you know, the interest rates got too high. People got in over their head. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah. We're seeing um, an influx. And and I see this honestly every day on some of the Facebook groups with campground investors or people building out. People will get a little too deep in maybe, or they just figure out they don't have the stomach for this. Like, let's say somebody gets all the plans done and they want to build this campground. They've done all the engineering studies, the layouts, and they've run into a hurdle. Maybe they got to put in additional sewer. Maybe they got to put in more water lines than they expected. Maybe the, the county or the city are going to limit how many pads they can put and makes it not be the great project for them. Or sometimes it's just too stressful. And people say, I thought it was going to be a whole lot easier. This is too hard. I don't want to do it. So we'll get this mid-project build out where they throw their hands up and say, I can't do it anymore. And they sell a project that is in the transition of building. And it could be anywhere from, I've got the land and it's approved but I don't have the money or I can't get the financing to build it out all the way on up to, I have it halfway done. Um, but I can't, um, I'm halfway up the mountain and I can't make it the rest of the way. And so there is this kind of hybrid subset of buying a partially built or designed campground. Mm-hmm. And, um, we're seeing more of that. Mm-hmm. And how often are you seeing that? I know like, when we first were talking about this, uh, you know, a few days ago, we were talking about uh, kind of what it is. And I had never even like thought about that, but it does make sense that that is something that's, you know, going on is yeah. a hybrid situation. So what is like, how popular is that nowadays and how is well, that increasing? I'll give you a scenario. And I was, I was um, in kind of a midst of a conversation that was going on on Facebook And in this particular situation, um, the people who were building out uh, had left their job and moved to the campground site because they wanted to build it out. 
And when we look back like a year and a half ago, the cost of building a campground, this is a whole nother topic, was about a half to a third as much as it will cost you today based on inflation, labor shortages, construction material backlogs, all of that has increased. So if you were going to build a million dollar campground uh, two or three years ago now, three years ago, we'll say, um, that same campground might run you $3 million right now. So some people just weren't up for that big thing. They were good with the million dollar, but they're not comfortable with the $3 million. Mm -hmm. So um, in this situation that I saw on Facebook, these people had quit their jobs and moved. And also the timeline of doing this build out was greatly extended. Again, we had a pandemic that slowed it down, all the staffing and supply shortages. So what would have taken one year to build out may now take three years to get to that same point. Mm -hmm. Well, if you've left your job to do this and then you're ready to start making money and that's gonna take you three years instead of one year, many people don't have the resources to sustain their family during mm -hmm. that time frame. So they may have to dump the project or figure out another alternative way to get this done. Um, and it may mean selling the project midstream. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's touch for a second. I know you talked about the cost has gone up. Um, mm -hmm. What do you think is kind of the, obviously this is going to be a big ballpark because if you're in Florida, it's going to cost different than if you're in Idaho. And if you're in Idaho, it's right. going to cost different than if you're in California. But kind of throw out like a general number. What do you think yeah. is kind of the cost right now, you know, per site? We, uh, I hear numbers all over the place here. So take this with a grain of salt, but I, I am hearing more like the 30 to $50,000 a site. And it, again, if we go back five years ago, those numbers seem like crazy. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it's also going to be an effect based on, the amenities that you're looking at for a park based on the land costs that you're looking at it it's up there pretty high now so again this makes it even more expensive when we think about the return on investment when we go operational what do we need to have as a rent rate to make this work and this is another reason you need to raise your prices yeah yeah that i mean if you're in an existing campground and you're going to compete with somebody who's building I encourage every campground owner, go look at some build outs that have happened recently anywhere, not even in your next door area, but look in a place that might be similar or look anywhere across the country and look at the pricing on a brand new campground, what they're charging and make sure you're increasing your prices because you can't make that money back if you just wait. You just can't get that back. It's not, it's just lost money. Mm -hmm. So check out what it takes if somebody's building in the marketplace, because although it was cheaper for you, doesn't mean that you're competing with what your price was 20 years ago to build out a site. You have mm -hmm. an advantage, a competitive advantage now. So make sure you're raising your prices accordingly too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know another kind of thing that a lot of campground owners have trouble justifying is, you know, say they're building in Florida it's going to be hard because it's hard to justify the, um, you know, 
people that want to just come stay there for like the season. Yeah. That's, that's another big concern that we see. Um, how is that kind of affecting the industry? Yeah, I think this is really one of the lagging pricing, you know, overnight pricing people get a lot more than if they're looking at their monthly pricing. And, you know, if you went on your overnight pricing, let's say you went from $50 to 55. All right, big deal, five bucks. But if you took your monthly price for a site and you went from $1,000 to $1,500, that feels like a lot. But look at the comparison of, of how much you've got to go up just to cover inflation. I mean, if inflation's at 7% and you're only making a 5% increase in your price for your monthly site over year over year, you're going backwards. You're losing money. Mm-hmm. Um, so those monthly rent rates, uh, you will not see many building campgrounds that plan to do long-term residency because they just can't make enough money to get the return on investment. Now you will find a brand new campground. I mentioned like Island Oaks to get that people get all that stuff filled up initially in a really fast way. Yeah. They'll take monthlies, but Mm -hmm. as they grow, you will find less and less monthly and more and more overnighters as they can maintain that occupancy and fill that traffic level. Um, Mm -hmm. They'll, they'll have to increase those prices to reduce the number of monthlies or even seasonal sites. Um, seasonal, it's almost a dying breed at this point. Mm-hmm. As, far, yep. uh, as far as a, not, not as an ongoing entity, but as a building, they're not building campgrounds that are going to be seasonal much anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's definitely something to look at when you're looking at building is, are you going to be in a place where, like, like I said, Florida... You're going to have your snowbirds coming down. They might be there for a good while. Are you in a position where you're going to be able to not accept those or are going to be in a position where you can utilize those in a way that actually is going to make you a lot of money? Yeah, um, you got to be able to charge the right pricing to maintain that. Yeah. And and we also see um, since Florida has filled up, you're going to see the neighboring states like maybe we can't get into Florida as far south as we want, but maybe we'll hit Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina, the snowbirds there. I mean, for people coming from upper parts of Canada, we're still pretty warm in the Carolinas and Georgia and Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, you're seeing an increase there and an increase in building there as well to pull in some of the snowbird traffic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I want to, touch on one or actually we'll touch on two more things um and these are kind of some news things um and automation and industry um kind of you know things that are just kind of some trends that you really need to look at um one thing we came across is self-service rv parks for you know overnight stays yeah this is a very cool concept that i didn't even think of but um, having a like basically fully automated RV park, you don't even have to be there. Yeah. Um, it's very cool. Uh, RV Self Park is the website that I found uh, for this. And 
you can go on here and look at the parks kind of around the country that have it. Um, there's uh, there's a one location on there now, right now, but yeah, but there's there, a lot there's, that are in there's process. a handful um, yeah. that are on there right now that you know you can book a reservation. You can see like a uh, site map, and then um, obviously you can call the park, look at the address, but you can go in and online booking. That could be a whole podcast on its own too, uh, but make sure you have online booking. But on here, you can go and book online, and you go show up at your campground, and you punch in a code. And there you go. Um, yeah. And you can buy. You and it has all the regular features of online booking, but the really nice thing is you don't really have to be at your campground if this is the type of campground you run. Yeah. And this one, um, typically we find that these are going to be off of highly traveled roads. So usually major interstates with a lot of traffic going by, they're meant for overnight stops, but they could be more than overnight. They could be a couple days or it may be that somebody's near there in, a, in town working. Um, there are a lot of traveling folks who are working jobs in areas that may be rural and this is a nice, convenient place for them to be. They are typically not going to be high frills. They're not going to have swimming pools and dog park. Well, they might have dog parks, but uh, they're not going to have a lot of amenities to deal with. They're base functions. So it can be your base for the night. So you pull in off the highway. They're usually pretty close, so you're not traveling far off the highway. You get a code. You go in the entry. You go to your site, and the electric turns on. Um, some of these are even selling by the hour, not, you mm -hmm. can't buy them by the hour, like a, an old style motel, but like you can do mm -hmm. a 14 hour, which is like, you're coming in at night, you sleep, you wake up, unplug and hit the road. You can do a day, uh, on up to several days, multiple days, but, mm -hmm. um, nice concrete pads that are level. They're all going to be pulled through for the most part. So really as an RVer, this is a really super convenient and when I'm pulling in overnight, here's what I want. I want easy in, easy out. I want to have some water and electric. I don't want to have to deal with obstacle courses in the RV park. I don't really care if there's trees. I don't really care if there's a patio. I just want to come in nice and easy. I'm tired. I want to take a nap, go to sleep, and I'm going to get up the next day and hit the road. So these are great for that. And I think this is a really good trend that we're going to see a lot more of. And also it takes advantage of that lower land cost because we are out usually in rural areas. So less zoning restrictions, less environmental. Usually those smaller towns are happy to have a business generate some revenue. Mm -hmm. uh, there may be restaurants in that town that will get some new business from it. Gas stations, uh, convenience stores, grocery stores. So it's, it can be a boom for a rural place to have this. And it's not a lot of noise or uh, big take on the community because they're usually pulling off on highway exit, maybe a mile or two off the highway at the most, and they're right back on and going. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a win-win for our industry. It's low maintenance for the owners. Um, and I think it'll prove to be very profitable if it's done right. Mm -hmm. So and I'm excited. I, I haven't stayed at one yet, but I'm itching to get the one. Yeah family-owned campground owners are a main audience. So you're probably, if you're a family-owned campground owner, you're probably wondering, 
this doesn't thinking this doesn't really apply to me. I'm not going to start a. I already have a campground. But what you have to look at is what they're doing to automate their work that you can implement in your own campground. So Absolutely. you need to be looking at, um, you know, what kind of friction points are there? Are people often calling you and saying, you know, hey, I need to book a site? Your solution? Take their idea, get an online reservation system. There's a lot of different things that you can pull from other people's ideas and use for your own that can really help you. Even if this kind of stuff, you know, obviously you might be like, I already have a campground. I'm not going to make it self-service. That's just not my style. That's okay. But find some different use cases that you can do from this to kind of improve your guest experience. And and also, if you take back to what I just said about what I'm looking for as an overnight traveler, all right, if you've got a park where a lot of people are there for a longer time, but you do have the in and outs, take my suggestions. Can you put sites up at the front that are pull through with very little obstruction or you know obstacle courses to get to that don't necessarily have to be back in the pool or around the trees or have great landscaping? I need a flat place to be, plug in for the night and I'm off. I'm not going to take and make a big mess in your campground driving around and digging ruts around corners because I'm too big. Um, so look at the structure and is there a way that you can create that in and out kind of function as a part of your existing campground? Yeah. And I know uh, Love's Truck Stops are doing this now um, yeah. where I think $30 a night, you can go in and um, back into their one of their sites. And, you know, it takes some of the friction out of it for people who are looking for overnight stays because there's love truck stops all around the country. Um, well, and so. it, there's some issues with that I have personally with the Love's uh, mm-hmm. truck stops. I, I haven't looked at everyone, obviously, but mm-hmm. I've looked at a couple of them just to see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Problem is they're back in sites. So if you have a toad, yeah. You know, towed traveling vehicle behind you that you're towing. You can't back up with a toad. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, we know semis can back up. They've got a lot better maneuverability than a lot of the rigs and uh, out there today. So I'm mm-hmm. not sure that they're going to make a great go on the back end for the RVers necessarily. They'll get some. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing that I think they're going to try to uh, take advantage of is you got people in cars who pull into a truck stop to go take a nap. <laughs> Maybe mm-hmm. you force them to pay you 30 bucks to stick around for the night if they want to nap in their car. Um, that uh, It's just a reality. I've seen it happen before. <laughs> uh, but hopefully they will take a little learn from what's going on. And, you know, I, I know there's actually a, I know some people opening a TA truck stop out in Missouri and they've actually added in a whole wing that's separate from the truck stop because with RVers, we don't want the noise. We don't want trucks going in and out next to us all night. Those are problems that they'd have at the Loves, mm-hmm. uh, depending on where they put those sites. But this TA is going to have like a whole campground, kind of like the self-serve right off the end of the campground. So it's quiet. So mm-hmm. I think we're going to see a lot of um, innovation coming. So as a family-owned campground, keep your eye out because you're going to have to compete with some of this. Mm-hmm. All right, real quick, I want to hit on the Silicon Valley Bank um, kind of yeah. incident that happened. 
uh, over the last week or so. Uh, and want to obviously, we're going to have to get this episode out as quick as possible so we can get some news into the industry. But um, real quick, because I know we're running out of time, let's touch on that. Okay. So why does that matter to my family-owned campground? Hmm. All right. Let's talk a little bit about what it was. I'm going to give you just like the in a nutshell. I'm going to give you the hmm. cliff notes. All right. Silicon Valley Bank had, it was just a bank like any other bank, but it was based in California. So it had a lot of tech people investing. That's not the only people who are investing, by the way, but there were a lot of tech banks. So venture capitalists were known to use that bank a lot because they did very favorable conditions. I have a friend out in California. He said, every time you went out to eat with one of the tech guys, they pulled out their Silicon Valley credit card. So very popular. So when the venture capitalists invest in a business, they were putting in their agreements that that bank had to be, that, or that that company had to bank through Silicon Valley Bank to accept their investment. So they're pushing all of those funds back in there again. So again, you say, well, I, I don't deal with venture capitalists. I don't deal with that. All right, if you used any apps to collect money, Look where that bank was. So uh, there's a ton of different apps and things out there, but let's say that your reservation system, and I will put a little asterisk here. I do not know of any reservation system who was at Silicon Valley Bank. I'm just using it as an example. But let's say that your bank, or I'm sorry, that your reservation system had a connection to Silicon Valley Bank behind the scenes in all the APIs and all the technical stuff. If the money was flowing through that bank, the bank assets were frozen. That means no money coming in, no money going out. So it did have an effect that trickled all the way down to the mom and pops, all the way down. You may not have seen it because it might have been fixed before you got to it, but it did probably have an effect. And the big overreaching effect is it reminded people, oh my goodness, banks can still collapse. We had that problem. We all kind of forgot about it. We got better after like 2008, 2007. We all forgot about it now. That's not, not even in the realm. We're rolling in the high times again. But banks can tucker out like this. So what happened was the venture capitalists were all talking on a Slack board, learned about some of the internal investments of the bank a little bit. One guy said, man, I don't know. That seems like their money might be, um, you know, like that might be a bad investment for the bank. I think I'm going to pull my money out. That guy on Slack was Peter Thiel, a uh, big wig out in California. Peter Thiel said he's going to take his money out. Everybody else said, man, he's a smart guy. I better pull mine too. So they had a run on the bank. And a run on the bank is not like the old days. It used to be like people were lined up at the bank. All right, the run on the bank now is online banking and everybody picked up their phone to transfer money. So this happened in kind of the blink of an eye. Now there's a lot of people saying like, Hey, everybody should have known better. But again, we all got stuck in this trap of, yeah, nothing's going to fail. No, it'll all be all right. So banks can have issues. So the big reminder I want to give you, and this will probably not affect most of you, but it can, and in the case where you sell your campground especially, this is a big thing. 
do not ever have more than $250,000 in any one bank to protect yourself. All right. There's a long trail of story about where that magical number comes from, but you've all seen FDI insured up to $250,000. All right. Silicon Valley Bank's going to be bailed out by the government, but we know who pays for bails out, bailouts, and there's no guarantee that the next bank will. So do yourself a favor, protect yourself, watch out. Don't ever put all of your money, all your eggs in one basket or one bank. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So I think you summarized it really well. And that's definitely something we wanted to bring to the attention of campground owners, because I'm sure some of you didn't even know that happened. So um, that's definitely a big news story in all of news, but um, yep. A lot of people don't realize how it affects the mom and pops. So absolutely. But anyways, I think we've covered everything that I had on the agenda. Um, so, you know, obviously we'd love to connect with you a little bit more. Uh, feel free, shoot us an email. If you got any ideas for us, any, uh, you know, sort of things you can always email, uh, hi at campground compass podcast.com. Uh, or you can visit our website, campground compass podcast.com. And, uh, you know, check us out, do some, uh, do a review, hit us with a review on, uh, all of your favorite platforms. Um, you know, hopefully we bring you some value. So, uh, we don't sell anything here on the show. Um, we don't like, we could be making a lot more money from the show directly. If we had sponsors, we don't do sponsors because we don't want to be controlled by other people. We had want to say, uh, speak our minds. So, we don't do sponsors, but what we do do is make you pay the fee, which is if you enjoyed the show, if you found any sort of value, just leave us a review. Uh, it really helps us boost our rankings here on uh, all of the favorite platforms, Spotify, Apple, Overcast, Stitcher, Amazon, uh, iHeartRadio, wherever you're listening from. Also, full-length podcast on YouTube at Campground Compass. Uh, make sure you go check us out there as well as um, some shorts. Uh, we're also at Campground Compass on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. So uh, we post all of our short form there. Um, and if you want to find a specific portion of the show, you can always check out Campground Compass Clips on YouTube, where we'll have uh, short individual segments of the show clipped up into small bite-sized pieces for you. Um, if you enjoyed the show, like I said, leave us a review. Let us know. Uh, if you got any ideas for us, as always, let us know. Uh, and until next time, we will see you all later. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Campground Compass. I'm so glad you joined us. Check out the show notes and more of our seasoned advice at campgroundcompasspodcast.com. While you're there, be sure to explore the archives for previous episodes. And if you never want to miss a single audio adventure in four-season business growth, subscribe to this podcast here and on YouTube. If you like what you're hearing, please consider leaving us a positive review on iTunes. It would be very much appreciated. Friends on social media, check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Campground Compass. Until next time, stay savvy.